Amen, amen. I know a lot of us have, uh, I think as, as elders mentioned, have probably lost some people these past 15 months, but we still have a lot to praise God and thank God for at this moment. Um, we just wanted to sing a few songs here with you, uh, some familiar songs. How many know we are marching to Zion? Are we ready to march? Are we ready to go to heaven when that time comes? Amen. Amen. Love the Lord and let our joys be known. All right, let's sing together. Come we, come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord and the The children of the heavenly king, the children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Before we reach the heavenly field, before we reach the heavenly or walk the golden fields, streets. or walk the golden streets, or walk the golden streets, we're marching, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching upward to protector, you've been our healer. Let's start right here saying only you are holy.
that he's worthy? Only you are worthy. Only you are wonderful? Only you Sabbath again, church. I just got so into the praise and worship that I forgot that I had to preach. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I have a lot to give God praise for. You know, God has taken us on a journey, a mighty long journey.
And maybe it is the same for your life if you just survey what you have gone through. You would see that, that God has placed you also in a journey. And uh, one thing we can give God praise for today if you're having a hard time in praising him is the fact that you are here. Many people didn't make it, but you are here. And the mere fact that you are here today, you can still testify that you are in the house of God. That is enough to praise him. So we come this, this morning, and, uh, and we're going to turn into a book, my favorite book, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read a few verses there, and then we're going to go into God's word today. Is that all right? Is that all right? Amen. 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 Revelation chapter 3 and verses 7 to 13. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but just a few verses there. The Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, who is he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. For the next little while, I'll speak to you on the topic, weakened but not broken. Weakened but not broken. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, here I am before your people on this Sabbath day. Lord, you know that we are excited to be in your house. Lord, we don't disappoint us right now. Speak a word to our heart. May each and every one of us today at the end of this service say truly, it was a blessing to be here in God's house to praise and worship. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Revelation is my favorite book and possibly yours also. I know Elder Walker can stand with me when I say that we love the book of Revelation. Do you like it? And the reason why I like the book of Revelation, the reason why I like that book, is because it speaks of things that have happened in the past. And it tells us about things that have happened in the past, and it explains it, but also of things that are happening in the present. So the book of Revelation is not only a historical book, but it's also a, a present book. It is active. It is a living uh, book because it applies to each and every one of our lives now and also explains things in the past. But also the book of Revelation is also unique in that it tells of things that's to come. So things that's going to happen in the future. Uh, the reason why I also like the book is because this book also tells us about who we are. So if you're trying to hide from God, the book would reveal it. If you're trying to stand in place and act like, you know, nothing is happening, the book is going to reveal it. If you're trying to be, be, be one of those individuals who are just a fake Christian, did I say that? Oh, help me, PJ, help me. Fake Christian, the, the book is going to call it out. If you're going to be a dead Christian, the book is going to call it out. And a dead Christian is like a fake Christian. Now, please stay with me for, for the next few moments, if you would, because we're going into the book of Revelation. And in this book, we're talking about the Church of Philadelphia. Is that all right? Are you still with me, right? The Church of Philadelphia is a unique church because, because this church is known for brotherly love, right? 
Um, but before I get to the Church of Philadelphia, let me backtrack for a moment, especially those listening in online. Um, the reason why I also like this book, especially the churches, is because it is applicable to each and every one of our lives. So take, for instance, as Elder Walker would tell you, each of those churches are specific to time periods in history. All right, you're still there, right? Each of those churches are specific to time periods in history. So you have like seven churches in the book of Revelation. You have the church of Ephesus, and you have Smyrna, you have Pergamos, you have Tyatira, you have Sardis, you have Philadelphia, and you have Laodicea. Now we always hear about the, the, the church of Laodicea. We hear about the church of Laodicea is because it speaks of the time period in which we live. So as a church, the time period, we state as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we say the church of Laodicea went from 1844 till the time of Jesus' return. That's why we hear so much about the church of Laodicea. And that's the church that is lukewarm, the church that's playing house, playing church. You know, the church that, is, 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 that God wants to actually vomit out of its mouth. Now, how do we identify with a church of Laodicea that God wants to vomit? And, and I'm like, God, you want to throw us up? Like, you want to discard us? You want to get rid of us? That's why it's so applicable in this time period, because we are fake Christians. And so we're being called out in the book of Revelation for being fake. And we've been fake since 1844. And God is like, look, I'm not here for some half-baked Christians. Now, the reason why I'm saying half-baked is because I'm a baker, right? And I used to bake a lot of cakes. Yeah, you didn't know that, right? Yeah, I can still bake. I used to be known for putting down a good cheesecake, PJ. I don't do it anymore. There's some, some folks who can, who can, you know, they can do that easy. But I used to bake, and, and when I, I spent time baking, I would, I would bake one of my favorite cakes is red velvet, right? I'll put the red velvet in the oven. Anybody with me? Don't get hungry on me. I'll put the red velvet in the oven, and I'll wait there, and you would have that scent, just, just aroma, just filling the room. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And when you're waiting for that cake, there is some, something that happens in your heart. You're like, you could smell it, you can taste it before it even comes out the oven. And one day I took the cake out, and, and you know that when you take the cake out too early, it just, it just sinks down in the middle, right? Um, I took it out, and I said, no, 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 it's not ready yet. Um, but how do I tell that it's, it's not ready yet? I would take something and stick it in between. Sometimes you take a little knife and you stick it inside. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me, right? And when I pull it out, you would find that there is still something wet. Some of the, the, the batter is still on the knife. You know that it's not ready. Now, now, coming back to the book of Revelation and the church of Laodicea, that's what Christ is saying about his church. We are half-baked in these last days. We ain't ready yet. And he has to put us back in the oven. That's why he says, talks about the fire. Because he has to put us back in the oven. We have to go through some fiery trials in order to be ready. That's why we've been through COVID. That's why we're, we're getting sick. That's why we're all stressed out. That's why we're depressed. Because we've been half-baked. And God is like, I don't like this half-baked stuff that you're all playing with. Because you've been playing church for a long time dragging your feet into church as if I owe you something. After all, I, I blessed you. You didn't, even have, you didn't even have to You walk here. You had to drive here in a nice car at that. And yet, you've been playing church, and you expect for me to just keep blessing you. No, how about a disease? How about that? That would shake up your world. 
And now with the world is turned upside down, what do you think about it? Now the, you thought, okay, well, now I can always run to church when, uh, when the things get rough. Just go and play as if, you know, everything is all right. I walk into church, lift holy hands, and then everything is good. And God is like, well, I'll shut the church. Now what you going to do? You half-baked Christian. Get your life in order and start living what you're supposed to be preaching. That's why God shut the church down. Now, I'm not even on the script anymore, Elder Walker. Let me just talk to you all as a church family because we need to get some things right. Many of us have been playing a church for a long time. We've been playing as if, well, we have the last day message. Yeah, we know. We've been hearing the last day message for a long time. And yet, we, 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 we've been hearing about it. We hear a building falling down the street, and it doesn't even phase us. There is snow in Brazil, and it doesn't phase us. There is heat wave in Portland, and it doesn't phase us. Look, folks, we're living in the last days. This is it, and that's why the book of Revelation is so important, because it speaks to our situation right now, and we need to pause for a moment, because we've all been so busy. Believe me, I live in Miami. I know how busy it gets. Before you even uh, could, could move off on the stoplight, somebody's honking at you. You better get moving. And our mindset is always about, well, we got to keep moving. We always got to keep getting stuff. We always, that's why we have so much fraud in this city. People are always just zoning in on the mighty dollar. And God has to stop us to allow for us to see, hey, you can't keep going like this. Our kids have been busy. They've been stuck between a tablet and a phone. They can't even, they wouldn't even visit you as a grandparent if you don't have Wi-Fi, by the way. They don't want to come to church because there's no Wi-Fi or it's, it's not very good. Before I even start talking, you're falling asleep because, hey, guess what? But we're living in the last days. This is it. If you've ever longed to see what the last days look like, this is it. What more do you need as a Seventh-day Adventist? We're always waiting for, well, the mark of the beast, 666. We want to hear, oh, is it going to be a chip? Is it going to be this? We have all these conspiracy theorists out there and conspiracy theories that we're following. We have all these individuals. I don't have to name them. You already know. You go on YouTube and you hear all manner of stuff. They talk about Surfside just down the street. I'm pointing the wrong direction, that way. And we see all these things and we can't even get it in our head that this is it. Look, look, I'm, I'm not even touching the, the text yet. Let me go back to the text for a moment. So we're talking about these seven churches. These seven churches are also important because they speak to every single one of us in here. In other words, what Jesus identifies is seven different characteristics of people in the church, Amen. through the churches. So you have the church of Ephesus, which is the church that lost its first love. Hello, you still there with me, right? So in other words, what Jesus is identifying, that's why I love the book of Revelation, he's identifying that there are some people in the church who used to be in love with him. But for one reason or the other, their love has been lost. It's like a marriage that has gone cold. Well, you can't even say I love you to your spouse. Jesus says, that's how you're treating me? You're living in the same house, but you're not in my bed. Uh-oh, I'm telling some marriage people stuff. Then, then, then you come down to the church of Smyrna. It's a church that's going through hard times, but there are some people in God's church who's going through hard times. Hello, am I speaking to anybody right now? I know you come to church and you have a smile on your face, even behind a mask. We can see it. You even have a mask with a smile. 
because you want everybody to know that, that you're bubbling up inside, but deep down in your heart, you're broken. That's the church of Smyrna. That's the people that Christ is identifying in his church. He says, there are some of you who have been through some really tough times in your life. It hasn't been a bed of roses. You haven't had anybody give you a handout. You've had to work every day of your life. From since you were in teenage, you have had to hustle. You've had to do whatever you can to try and make it. You've been bumped around. You've been bruised. You've been beaten. You've been chastised, but yet you're still here. So that's people at Church of Smyrna. Then there are some who are like in the Pergamum stage of their life. You're, you're like Pergamus, right? You're, you're compromising. Oh, you got quiet. They got quiet. You got quiet because you're compromising. And the reason why you're compromising is because you're sneaking out of church so early to get to work. You're compromising because you know you're in that relationship and it should be done. You're compromising because it's the last time, today should be the last time you hug that man in your bed. You know he ain't yours. Okay, okay. Stop compromising. Don't be in a place of, 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 of Pergamos. Because after you've been in Pergamos, my friends, you go to a place called Thyatira. Because some individuals are in the place of Thyatira. And you know what happens in Thyatira? That church allowed for Jezebel to enter it. And Jezebel was sitting right there in the pews looking at them every single week. And they're wondering, God, why is Jezebel in my house? Jezebel's in your house because you have compromised. Then, then there are some, after they've gone through the place of, uh, of Thyatira, then they've gone to Sardis. You all know what happened in Sardis? PJ, let me, let me tell them what happened in Sardis. Sardis was dead. So you have a bunch of dead Christians. From a place of compromising to a place where the devil actually enters into your house and you're wondering why I can't make it, then all of a sudden you get into a dead place. So in other words, Jesus is calling out the dead Christians. He says, you know that you're dead because you can't even read the word. You know you're dead because you can't even process what it's supposed to be. You know you're dead because you don't even want to get up to come to church. You know you're dead because you don't even tune in when it's on YouTube. Social media has allowed for you to have access to spiritual things, and yet you still won't even do it because you're dead. Prayer meeting is now virtual, and you still don't attend. When's the last time you called family worship? When's the last time you even took time out and paused for a moment just to pray by yourself? When's the last time you just read the word just to even process and get close to God? When is the last time you just took time just to read Jesus wept? The shortest text in the Bible that should tell you the fact I could preach a whole sermon just on Jesus wept. Why is that not important to you? The fact that he cried just to see your, your condition have sunk so low that you're now a dead Christian. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. But then after Sardis, here's what happens. Jesus speaks to a church of Philadelphia. And the church of Philadelphia, Sister Dominique, is where we are today. Right now, we're talking about this church of Philadelphia because, because the church of Philadelphia is the church of brotherly love. 
So, so in other words, what Jesus is basically saying is that you can get to a place where, where you have allowed for the devil to come in. You can get to a place where you have compromised. You can get to a place where you fell out of love with him. You can get to a place where you have, you have left the church. You can get to a place where you're there as a dead Christian, not even reading his word, but yet he still longs for you. He knows that you're weakened, and Philadelphia is a weak church. He knows that you have just a little bit of strength left, but he's still searching for you. He's still coming after you. He's still pursuing you because he says, guess what? I love you. That's the message that he sends to the church of Philadelphia. And that's the message he sends to those who are in love with him. You have been broken. You have been beaten. You have gone through some stuff. You felt like you were all alone. But in the midst of it, he says, look, I still love you. I still care for you above all things. And then, after you've experienced that love, then you find that they go into a church of Laodicea. After Christ has yearned for them, longed for them, searching after them, then they become lukewarm. And this is where we are right now. So Jesus also identifies those in the church who have become lukewarm. Lukewarm with your faith. You act like you are holy. You act like you are right. You act like you all, you all have all the energy. You're about ministry. You're doing all the work, but you don't have a connection with him. The church of Laodicea is a church that Christ wants to vomit, as I referenced in the very beginning, because they are, they are really, uh, they're supposed to be hot and not cold. But he says, look, I would have even preferred for you to be cold. But, 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 but I would pref- uh, than, than, to be, than to be lukewarm, I prefer for you to be cold, but I really want for you to be hot. Now, now, now for those who may, may, un- may misunderstand that text, can I just give you an illustration and then we continue with Philadelphia and then I wrap this thing up? All right, I didn't understand what it meant when Christ said, I would rather for you to be cold than to be lukewarm. Anyone ever struggled with that? Because if you're cold, it means that you're lost. If you're cold, it means that, 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 that you don't have a connection with him, right? So how in the world can, can Christ say, I wish for you to be cold rather than to, uh, rather than to be lukewarm? Well, 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 God had to speak to me. He had to wake me up. It was, it was in Canada in a wintry blizzard day. At 4 a.m. in the morning, Christ explained this text to me. I was looking outside and I was like, man, it must be freezing out there. And there I was standing on top of the vent with the heat blowing. All right, you're not seeing it yet. So I was looking outside and it was, it was cold out there. And Christ said, uh, 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 Garth, how do you know that it's cold out there? I said, because I've been there before. I mean, I know it's freezing. He said, exactly. You still with me? Did anybody get it yet? All right, let me explain. If you're cold, if you're cold, you will not want to stay out there. If you're cold, you're going to want to get hot. Immediately, I can guarantee you. If you're standing in ice, you're going to want to get hot. But if you are lukewarm, if you're comfortable, frogs get comfortable. Lobsters get comfortable. And the crabs get comfortable. You put them in there, the water feels nice. They feel good. And they have no idea that they'll be the next meal. 
You get it now? So Christ says, I wish you were cold. Because if you're cold, you would know, definitely, I need to get hot. But if you're hot, you're going to be all right. That's why we live in Miami. All right, let me get back to the text. I'll finish this thing off and then we go home. Is that all right? Oh, you excited now. The Church of Philadelphia was 25 miles southeast of Sardis, 800 feet above the surrounding countryside in a very small but very important city. Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities to which Christ sent this letter. It's located at the intersection of many trade routes and became known to the gateway to the east. It was built in an area acquired by Pergamos in 189 BC. I'm giving you the history now, then I'm going to get shouted, and then we're going we're to end this thing. Is that all right? King Eumenes, the second king of Pergamum, had a brother who he loved. That's why he named the place Philadelphia. And the name actually stuck because it meant a place of brotherly love. Phileo, which means love, and Adelphos, which means brother, Philadelphia. The city was known for vineyards and for, the, for wine. In fact, in fact, they had a god, and the god of choice for that city was Dionysius, the god of wine or partying. And he was their principal deity. And, and the city benefited greatly from its prime location, but there was a problem. You want to hear what the problem was? The problem with Philadelphia is that it was in a highly volcanic region. It also sat on a geological fault, similar to Surfside Building. Often, they would be suffering from frequent earthquakes and aftershocks. And these tremors were so devastating that folks often had to abandon their homes and businesses and live in tents on the plains outside the city. These tremors were so devastating that folks had to abandon their homes, and, and as, as they would leave their homes, oftentimes the threat of another underground eruption would occur. They continued to live in fear, and in 80 17, there was a terrible earthquake, and the entire city was destroyed. Just a few pillars, hear this, just a few pillars remained in the city. Tiberius Caesar of Rome gave a huge financial contribution to rebuild the city. And the city's name changed after the earthquake to Neo-Caesarea, a new city of Caesar. When Tiberius was succeeded by Vespasian, the city was renamed again to Flavia, his family name. But the name Philadelphia later was taken again. Today, in Turkey, you will find this city known as Allah Shehu. The city there was very faithful to God. It was a small church, and they were often left in hardship. Some of them were ostracized by their family members for becoming Christian. Many of them had lost their possessions in the frequent tremors and were never given handouts. But in that little church, they desired to do the work of God. They worked trying to spread the gospel. They were given the best opportunity to, because all roads led to Miami, excuse me, Philadelphia. Jesus, hear this, identifies himself to this church. This church in the middle of Miami, downtown, I mean, I mean Philadelphia. Jesus identifies himself to this church, and he identifies himself in three ways. Can I just, just mention those three ways, and then we go home? Jesus identifies himself first as holy. You see it in the text? 
It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is what? Holy. holy. The Old Testament here is filled with references to the holiness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 3, the Bible says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. To be holy means to be completely flawless and faultless. All right. To be holy means to be completely flawless and faultless. His character, in other words, is absolutely untarnished and free from any moral defects. What do you think? What do you think then that means to someone whose city is built on a fault? What do you think it means to someone who has always felt the earth quaking on or shaking underneath them? To hear that Jesus is holy, that means that he is faultless. That means that he is, he is there with them. Jesus is letting them know that there is stability in him. When everything around you begins to crumble and fall apart and, and you just don't know how you can stand on your two feet, you don't know how you're going to be able to do it. Jesus says, look, when all the, everything around you begins to shatter like glass, there is still hope in, in me. But Jesus also identifies himself not only as holy, but he identifies himself as true. Look at the text. He identifies not only as holy, but he who is true. Now, now, now that means that, that he is authentic. That means that he is not an imitation. That means that he is not a fake. PJ, he's not a fraud. He's not a knockoff. He's a real McCoy. He, all right. You're not with me yet. You're not excited like me. Um, let me just tell you a story. Is that okay? Um, my friend came and told me about a place we can get some real designer shirts, designer outfits. And I felt, wow, you know, I'm a pastor in the church. It's going to be real good if I come up with a nice designer suit ever so often. All right, you, you, you're looking at me, judging me. Don't judge me. You know, you, know, you want to be looking good? Come on, where the man in here? You want to look good. I want to be like PJ, you know, walking into church and feeling good. Have a nice pocket piece, hanging out, all that stuff, you know. So I decided I was going to go down to this special store to get me some designer outfits. I went down there, and they had good prices. I mean, designer shoes that was supposed to be $700 was $29.99. Oh, you smiling now. Why are you shaking your head? I mean, the designer shirts. I mean, I don't have to call the name, Louie. You know, all that stuff. And, and I was just shaking my head. Five dollars. I said, look, I'm going to do just like you. I'm going to pick up about 20 of those things. And I got all the shirts, all the, the pants, all the suits. And I said, this going to look good on me. I'm going to walk in here like PJ. I finally got to the to, to church, and I, I, I wore one of the suits, and, and I began to, to preach, and I began to sweat. Why are you saying oh, oh? <laughs> and then suddenly, I realized as I took it home, I mean, the suit can fit Levi. <laughs> I said, something wrong, I'll just sweat. The shirt that was long sleeve now became short sleeve, still with the buttons. And I know you're laughing at my expense. But I'm sharing all of this to say, look, Jesus is saying, look, I am the real McCoy. Yes, sir. 
I'm not a fake. I'm not a fraud. I'm not going to dupe you. I'm going to actually be there when everything else falls apart. You know, even one of those shoes, talking about that, even one of those shoes, I, I had the audacity to wear that to a church function, and the whole bottom of the shoe fell out. I mean, I was like laughing. My, foot, my shoe looked like it was laughing. Oh, you got me on this thing now. But Jesus says, look, I am the real McCoy. I'm not going to imitate and try to scratch in your name. We had a guy in school who used to scratch in the name. So, so you know, he wouldn't have real Jordan. So he would just kind of write it in the back and draw the little, the, you know, talking about. We don't have to do all of that because when we serve Christ, he is the real deal. That means when you are stressed out on the job, he gives you that peace, Sister Dominique. When, it, when you just don't know how in the world you're going to make it, he comes through and he's able to make a way when there is no way. When you go sitting before the, that person who's supposed to give you the stamp or make you sign for the mortgage and you don't understand how you're going to do it, it's because Jesus made that way. When you're there sitting in front of the, the car dealer and you're like, I know this thing ain't going to pass, but yet we got to try it. And they come back and they say, well, sir, you're, everything is good. And you're like, praise you the Lord. Because you know your credit ain't all that. It's Jesus who is able to make a way. He's able to fix the figures so that you can get through. Because that's what it means that he's stable. When you know you didn't deserve that A, you know you shouldn't have made it. You know you didn't even pass that class. But yet God was able to still meander and, and be able to do something. You were praying on that exam. You were like, Lord, I don't even remember looking at this thing in the textbook. In fact, I was so tired, I didn't even know what I saw. But you're like, Lord, can you just give me the answer just this once? Just do it, please. I prayed that prayer. You know you prayed yours. And then you come back and you get the results and it says, hey, you passed. You passed over than what they expected. When you were supposed to get that, that SAT or, or whatever exam you had to take and you come through and you're now getting a scholarship, it wasn't you. It was all because God saw favor. God looked at you and said, look, at I pity my child because they've been going through some hardship, but yet I'm going to bless them so that they have a testimony on their lips that I am God. So Jesus says, look, I am holy. I am true. But he also identifies himself as the key of David. The key of David. Let me give you the story, the background of this thing, and then we can wrap this thing up. The key of David is actually taken from Isaiah chapter 22 and verses 22. That talks about Shebna. So Shebna was using the treasury for his personal gain. And God saw fit to remove him from his office. And then God elected Eliakim, who was a faithful man of God, and put him in the place of Shebna. And, and God said, Eliakim, I will give him the key to the house of David. Now, what does he mean? The key to the house of David was the highest position in the royal court. So when, 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 when Eliakim opens doors, nobody can shut it. When Eliakim was able to, to go into a place and close a door, nobody can open it. So, so, so God identifies with, with this story with Eliakim because no one is able to open what he's able to shut. The key of David then represents Eliakim's position of honor and, and authority over the nation of Israel. It was a huge key that Eliakim actually carried over his shoulder to display the power that he actually possessed. 
Where am I going with all of this? To tell you that here when Jesus identifies with the key of David, he's basically saying here that he's able to open any door and he's able to close any door. Can I end with this today? That thank God he's able to open up some doors. When God opens up some doors, my friends, consider it open. When he opens up some doors, you're able to enter into positions that no one expected you to be in. In fact, some people may have been rooting against you to be in that position. But God has a way of being able to move things around and allow for his servants to enter into position that people didn't even expect. Believe me, if you don't believe me, let me tell you right now that maybe people were rooting against you right now even to remain in the church. They thought, hey, that person, no way they're going to stay in the church. But God saw fit to still put his hand upon you. And that's why you're in the position that you're in. That's why you're occupying that career that you're in right now and that space that you're in. That office that you enter into is because God had to move some people out of the way to allow for you to enter into it. That's why God had to shift some things. And even when they tried to fail you, they had to put a check mark behind your name. Because God had to open up the doors for you. But can I say it also that, that the key of David means that he had to open up some doors and close some doors behind you, maybe even in front of you. But God had to close some doors. And thank God he closed some doors. For some, right now he closed some, closed some doors, and it's a blessing because you know you were upset when he closed that door. When God closes the door on some of us, we get mad, not angry, mad. We're like, God, I prayed for this. How come you didn't give it to me? God, how come you're going to just snatch this thing? I was so close and you closed that door. How come, God, we get upset? Or we can get upset. You know, someone told me before, oh, no, you don't get upset at God. I said, oh, yeah. Try living. When you have prayed and cried out for something, when you have fasted for something, and then all of a sudden, that door looks like it's wide open, and you're like, that's the job for me. I'm moving straight to Hawaii, and I'm going to be occupying that space and that, that condo right on the beach, and they're going to pay for it. Right downtown Miami, right there. And then all of a sudden, God closes the door. And you're like, God, are you serious? How in the world can you take that job opportunity from me? How in the world you, you're going to prevent us from, from, from having this baby? I went there. God, God how are you, how you going to just, just, just not allow for my family to be able to visit me? God, how are you going to just, just stop the visa from processing? God, how are you going to just intervene and, and not allow for us to be able to move into this phase of our life? God, how? And meanwhile, you can't see the end from the beginning. That's the book of Revelation. I remember, I remember God shutting some doors for us and not understanding. We were about to purchase a home and God shut the door and I was mad. How can you do it, God? After all, I even made my list. Oh, you don't know, you didn't go attend prayer meeting. When God shuts those doors, we get upset. When you're in that relationship for like five years and you're hoping that ring would finally come out 
and then it all crumbles. Don't tell me you're not going to be upset. God shuts some doors, but it's not until maybe five, ten years more down the line that things begin to unravel and you begin to reveal why God didn't allow that relationship when you see the person's face on television, on the crime. God sometimes closes some doors and we can't see it right now. But believe me, there is always an explanation that God has, and it will be revealed in time. I thank God for saving me from some relationships. And you better thank God for saving you from some of those relationships. I thank God for not allowing some doors to be open, because if I went there, it would be a traumatic experience. I remember this one lady came into the office, she was upset at church because she felt she was praying about something and God didn't do it. She wanted that position in the job and she wanted that managerial position. After all, she was working there for a long time and she felt that that was the moment that God had to work something out for her. She didn't get it. She was upset, but she still didn't just quit her job because you don't do that based on the finance stuff I just shared with you. Because if you quit your job and now you have to be homeless, then that's a problem. So she's kept on going, and one year from the date that she came into the office, a new company took over. And you all understand when a new company takes over that company, what happens? You guys still with me, right? And, and immediately they begin to now get rid of the management. So all of the management that was there that she knew, and it would have been her if she had taken that position, if the position was offered to her, everyone was now gone, had to find other places. And yet, she was still in that, in that place. Anybody have that testimony today? She was still there. And then after new management comes in, they say, well, we need new managers. Who shall we get? And she was on the top of the list as the one who was supposed to be in charge. So here, God was setting things up a year in advance, but she could not see it. Let me talk to somebody today, because oftentimes we get upset at God when we don't see him working in our time and in our, our expectation, but God works at his own time period. And when we just be patient, we just be faithful, we will see that our God has never left us. That's why in the book of Revelation, Christ says to the church of Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door. Why? Because he knows that we're weak. We are tired. We've been through COVID. We have been stressed out. We have been abused. We have gone through so much even in this past year. But God said, look, I've set before you an open door. Because I know you can't even stand those who are under the enemy's attacks against you. You can't take it. Now, here's the good news. And then I'm going to close. Christ said to the church of Philadelphia three things. I will set you like a pillar. I will write a new name. And I will change your name and write my name on you. Now that's good news to somebody who has been through an earthquake. The church of Philadelphia went through an earthquake, like I said, shared with you earlier. And because they went through this earthquake, the only thing left were pillars. 
So when they saw those pillars, they were like, man, everything was shaken, but yet they're still able to stand. Now, the title of this message is, is, is weakened, but not broken. And the reason why is because when everything around you is shattered, all you need to know is that God is there with you. And when God is there with you, you can stand like a pillar when everything begins to crumble. Now, 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 our musician is still out there. Can you just play something for me? Play something for me. Because I'm reminded of this story as I'm closing down now. Christ said, not only are you going to be a pillar, but I'm going to write my name on you. If that don't get you excited, I don't know what will. Christ said, no matter what you have been through, I'm going to write my name on you. That means... That means that when his name is inscribed on you, you are his. You belong to him. So I told you the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Tyre, the church of Philadelphia, all of those churches, they've been through different time periods. But now he gets down to Philadelphia. He says, look, I don't hold anything against you for what you've been through. I just want to love you and write my name on you. So no matter what you have been engaged with, it doesn't even matter. Whatever you've been doing throughout COVID, it doesn't matter. Whatever you did prior to COVID, it doesn't matter. It's all about what you do right now because he just has one thing on his mind, to write his name on you. That means he wants to change you. Now people have many nicknames for you. They probably even remember what you did in the past. They probably remember what you did last night. But in spite of it all, he knows, he knows you, and he wants to change your name. Weakened but not broken. Grandma was very faithful to God. She always came to church. She always served God. She was faithful. She was one of those who was like the praise praise uh, little group in the church always be the first one to lift their hands the amen corner thank you sister Dominique she was always there faithful one of the first people to arrive at church but as she got older the aches and pains began to develop and they realized that she was not moving as fast anymore grandma ended up in the hospital and as the family visited her they realized that grandma was just one of those people who was always bubbly and she always had a smile on her face. She was one of those that people would leave and say, I came to be there with her, but she just blessed me. And grandma continued with a smile on her face, but, but one of the young kids was really inquisitive. They turned and they said, Grandma, um, we understand that you have cancer and you're not going to make it. What allows for you to have a smile on your face? And grandma, still weak and frail at that point in time, turned and said, Honey, I'm weak, but I'm not broken. Honey, I'm weak, but I'm not broken. In the book Maranatha by Ellen White, she says, The church may look as if it's about to fail, about to fall, but it does not fall. Throughout COVID, it looks like we were about to fall, 
but God's church does not fall. Throughout COVID, it looks like you're about to fall, but you didn't fall. And the reason why we're still here is because we're not broken. We're not broken, and the reason why we is because Christ is with us. We can stand like a pillar, like the Church of Philadelphia. We can stand. Today, this is evidence that we're going to continue to stand. You are here. We are here serving God. It means that God's church shall continue to endure till the bitter end. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what you have endured, just know that God is with you. Father in heaven, Lord, we are your people. And you know the atrocities that we have had to endure. You know the grief that we've had to bear. You know the tears that we've had to shed. You know the losses we have experienced. But Lord, today you just remind us that you are the God who draws close. You are holy. Oh God, you are true. You are the real McCoy. Lord, you are the one who holds the key of David. So today, continue to speak to your people. Continue to hold us in the palm of your hand. And no matter what we have done, oh God, continue to write your name on us. And when it's all said and done, may we praise you. May we glorify you. May we worship you and give you praise. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.